In our last Tiny-sode, titled Failing English is Easy, we talked about how the English language can be difficult for someone to learn due to all of our slang and the reality that there are many English words that mean more than one thing. But that is just one hurdle for an ESL individual to overcome before he or she is immersed into a society of idioms. Idioms. You know idioms, right? Figurative sayings that would be ridiculous if taken literally, like digging in your purse for car keys. Now, to a non-native English speaker, this might evoke quite a peculiar picture in their mind involving some kind of shovel. Or, if the same person was to ask me how to use their subway metro pass in New York City, and I simply reply, it's a piece of cake. So don't miss the boat by putting your head in the sand, or be a cold-hearted, backseat-driving, fair-weather friend, and allow me to play devil's advocate without being a Monday morning quarterback as we hit the road running with a warm welcome to some common American idioms and the stories behind them. This is the Idiom Dum. As I mentioned in the introduction, piece of cake is a commonly understood idiom, which actually brings a few other related phrases along with it. For example, you might refer to a certain challenge as a cakewalk, which became an expression in the 1860s, and it was quite literally that. A man and a woman would walk down an aisle like an early version of the Soul Train line where Disco Stew could strut down the aisle with a funky disco lady. Anyway, for a cakewalk, the most graceful couple to saunter down the aisle would win a cake as a prize. It's a piece of cake didn't become a locution until the mid-1930s. And around the same time, you also got the expression easy as pie or easy as apple pie, which both mean the same thing as piece of cake and it's a cakewalk. But you and I both know that cake and pie are very different. I'll have a slice of each, a la mode. And while our sweet teeth are excited, let's keep the motif going with pie in the sky, meaning to have impossibly optimistic wishes. This shibboleth dates all the way back to the 19-teens in everyone's favorite Joe Hill song, The Preacher and the Slave, which is a parody of the hymn In the Sweet By and By. Joe Hill's song was originally titled Long-Haired Preachers, though some people simply refer to it as Pie in the Sky. Written as a rallying theme for a labor union called the International Workers of the World, 
The lyric goes, quote, Work and pray, live on hay, you'll get pie in the sky when you die. End quote. The name of that song once again is The Preacher and the Slave, or Pie in the Sky. It is very findable online for you to go and give a listen. Now that we've had pieces of cake and pie, let me give you a piece of my mind. Except that is not the initial phraseology of this idiom. We have come to rationalize the saying to mean giving a person advice or a piece from your mind but the original terminology wasn't piece of my mind like a slice or a portion. It was peace of mind, meaning your mind has been put to peace or eased as a result of your actions or the arrival of anticipated information. Like when you know your children have arrived home safe every night, you have peace of mind. Now, saying it the other way isn't wrong. I just wanted you to know from where the wording evolved. And while we're portioning out our body parts, have you ever paid for something that cost you an arm and a leg? Now, this is one of those utterances that nobody can seem to agree upon where it truly comes from. Strong indicators show that it was coined during World War II through the heartbreaking letters that were written between soldiers and their loved ones back home, which would oftentimes describe in horrific detail the very real cost of life and limb that surrounded troops on all fronts of the war day and night. With such grim origins, it's sobering how flippantly we all use the expression today. There are other sources out there, however, that will tell you that costing an arm and a leg originated much earlier in history and refers to portrait painters of the Renaissance who would charge their clients more money for larger-scale paintings. A head-to-toe portrait is a luxury that includes all of your body parts and their magnificent detail. A painting of just the head and shoulders would be a much more frugal purchase, so as not to cost you an arm and a leg. But there is no concrete evidence to support this claim of where the saying came from, which is too bad because I want it to be true so much. And that is exactly how urban legends start. Just a bunch of baloney which is another idiom of American slang that was coined by Jack Con Conway in the June 30th, 1922 issue of Variety magazine where he is talking about a couple of baseball players and says, quote, The local papers are full of baloney about the pennant being in as soon as the pair get out of their uniform, end quote. Scatter curiosity... Jack Conway also gets credit for giving life to the words bimbo, scram, pushover, and palooka, which, alongside the word baloney, can mean a big galoot or a crummy boxer. 
And if they are a really lousy boxer, their manager might have to throw in the towel to spare the baloney a bloody beatdown. Throw in the towel started as a very literal saying when it was first printed in the 1913 Fort Wayne Journal Gazette in reference to a towel being thrown in to stop a fight. We pacifists use the idiom in all sorts of unrelated arenas today. And, half a century prior to the towel throwing, the slang dictionary of 1860 mentions, quote, throwing up a sponge, which is not an uncommon way to dry off, refresh, and wipe up a fighter while sitting ringside. And it is how they would concede a fight back then, by, quote, throwing up the sponge, end quote, which was preceded by the idiom, makes my blood boil by only a dozen years. The term blood boils, however, goes as far back as the 1600s, though it should be noted that if your blood even came close to the temperature that it would take to boil it, you would be very dead. I think it best to trust your manager and have them throw in whatever it takes to keep you from dying. You can always go off and lick your wounds, which is a great idiom if you have pets. You observe this all the time. We have two cats here at our house, and after a good wrestling session between them, Poor Rocky has to lick his wounds after being tussled and taken down by his smaller, older, wiser counterpart, Katamiya. That is the literal meaning of lick your wounds. But the idiom has changed the definition to mean self-pity. And while we're on the topic of felines, I found an idiom while researching this episode that I have never heard before, but is from a very popular book that, if you haven't read, I'm sure that you've at least heard of it. The Holy Bible. Okay, so in the Bible, there's a guy who you also probably heard of named David, who later takes down a giant named Goliath with his trusty slingshot, and David is a shepherd who has one of his sheep taken by a lion. And being the good shepherd that he was, he gave the big cat chase all the way back to its den, and David proceeds to beard the lion in his den and describes it to us like this, quote, And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him, end quote. I love it. Of course, when we say it now, we are not literally shaving a lion of his whiskers in life, but rather challenging somebody on his or her own turf and conceding home field advantage. Now combine that incident with a totally different Bible story where another big D by the name of Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den and is miraculously saved by an angel. Beard the lion in his den became an idiom amid the decline of the Roman Empire. 
Personally, I would be more afraid of a lion than a giant. The thought of being face-to-face with a wildcat gives me goosebumps. Another idiom. Goose pimples is also commonly used alongside goose flesh. I find the phenomenon of getting goosebumps so interesting because they can be brought about in a few different ways. Being cold, being afraid, or being aroused. The medical term for goosebumps is cutis anserina or horripulation. We call them goose pimples and such because goose flesh looks this way with all the bumps on it after all of the feathers have been plucked from the goose. The same thing happens with duck, turkeys, and chickens. Scatter curiosity, in 16th century London, Winchester goose was a slang word for prostitute and being bitten by a goose meant that you had syphilis. Now that's foul. What, you can't handle it? Are you chicken? Why do we call people chicken anyway? Well, according to the World Wide Web, it first appeared in William Kemp's 1600 writing called Nine Days of Wonder. And an excerpt from it says, quote, It did him good to have ill words of a hottie dotty, a heberdy hoy, a chicken, a squib. End quote. Calling someone a chicken means to say that they are weak or afraid, but it originally was meant to describe a person's size. I mean, look at a chicken next to a turkey or a goose. And misogyny ruled the world back then, so what men perceived to be the weaker sex started being referred to as chicks. The modern meaning of calling someone a chicken was well established by 1844 when Charles Dickens writes my favoritely titled book of his, The Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit. And a line from it says, quote, Why, what a chicken you are! You're not afraid of being robbed, are you? End quote. And calling someone a chicken in the first place is such an anemic insult and for some reason was a major plot device of Back to the Future Part 2 and Back to the Future Part 3. Marty McFly stops dead in his tracks at the utterance of the put-down because nobody calls me chicken. Another fictional character who is rarely referred to as a chicken is Arthur Herbert Fonzarelli, or Fonzie, or The Fonz who proved his bravery during the 1977 fifth season premiere of the television show Happy Days titled Hollywood Part 3. And his cool antics in this episode gave birth to another idiom that was quite literal at first, when Arthur completes a water skiing jump over a shark while still wearing his leather jacket. Ever since, the idiom jumping the shark refers to a gimmick that is utilized to promote something that has passed its peak in popularity. But I kind of love it. 
I wish that every show that got canceled had to have its most beloved character jump over some deadly creature in one manner or another. Just imagine what the finale of Murder, She Wrote would have been like. Angela Lansbury in A Pit of Snakes. Anyway, critics seem to agree that after Fonzie made the jump, the focus of Happy Days shifted and became all about the Fonz, who was originally brought onto the show as a secondary character to the Cunningham family before moving into the loft above their Wisconsinly located garage. Truthfully, I don't really know why this is a phrase used for something that is declining in popularity, because Happy Days went on for another six seasons after Jumping the Shark. And that particular episode actually sparked a ratings boost for the show. And according to Opie Taylor, Richie Cunningham, Ron Howard, the person to coin the phrase in the sense that we use it today was Ralph Mouth himself, Donnie Most, who supposedly said it after reading the script for that episode. Though other sources that I found credit the phrase to Sean Connolly in 1985 when he was joking around with his college roommate and future radio personality John Hine who made the idiom popular. Scattered Curiosity, a character in the 1922 novel titled Right Ho Jeeves, actually jumps a shark while water skiing on the French Riviera. No leather jacket, though. And Jump the Shark actually inspired another idiom that was galvanized by the fledging Indiana Jones franchise, Nuke the Fridge. And it refers to the movie Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when Harrison Ford walks away from an atomic blast by cleverly hiding inside of a lead refrigerator. Now, I'm no Al Bord Einstone, but that wouldn't work. In fact, it would deadify you a real lot. Do not put yourself inside of a refrigerator during nuclear fallout. Or ever. And for any of you aspiring filmmakers out there, here's a film idea for you. Fonzie and Indiana Jones go on an adventure in the French countryside to find the hidden treasures of one of the coolest figures in history, Benjamin Franklin. Write it, someone. And before we stray too far from Fonzie and the shark thing, the internet actually scattered a curiosity for me when I typed the word shark into a search engine. Now, have you ever heard or used the term card shark or pool shark? Pool meaning billiards, not your cheap above-ground pool. Well, believe it or not, the term was originally card sharps with a P. Hailing from 17th century English when to be sharp or to be a sharp simply meant to be a cheater or a swindler. Being a sharp later came to mean being a skilled expert at something. That kid is sharp. 
But saying card shark is aptly acceptable because the intent of a sharp shark with sharp teeth might be to prey on a weaker person or player in whatever setting they find themselves in. And with this knowledge, I invite you to be a trivia sharp and go out and win some bar bets with this fact. And here's another one. Have you ever said, nip it in the butt? Why? Whose butt? The idiom is to nip it in the bud. Bud like a flower bud. Because you nip a bud off before it grows into something bigger. And if you don't outsmart somebody with that one, this idiom is a shoe in That's S-H-O-O, like shoe fly, get out of here. Not a shoe on your foot, like having a foot in the door. It should be shoe in, S-H-O-O, because you shoe something like a fly or a cat or a sheep in a particular direction. You shoo that fly away. Shoo-in dates back to 1928 when it was an expression referring to a horse that was expected to win a fixed race. Nowadays, it refers to a horse, or any competitor for that matter, that cannot lose. They are a shoo-in. I just hate to be a wet blanket on the fire of fun, so I am sad to tell you this next fact, because I like saying it incorrectly so much. But, if your friend tells you something that you agree with, you can coolly say, I jive with that, but you would be using the modern version of the original expression, I jibe with that, J-I-B-E. However, if you would like to learn to speak jive, I suggest watching the movie Airplane. Barbara Billingsley, a.k.a. Mrs. Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver, gives a lesson for the ages in this hilarious film when she acts as a liaison between two natural jive speakers and the flight attendant of the airplane. And she assures the gentleman, quote, Just hang loose, blood. She gonna catch you up on the rebound on the med side. End quote. And then the man becomes agitated with her response, and she walks away and says, quote, Cut me some slack, Jack. Chump don't want no help. Chump don't get to help. Jive-ass dude don't got no brains anyhow. Shit. Oh, what a great movie. Go watch it right now. Well, in like a minute when I'm done. But whether you jive or jibe, it makes no difference. The idiom is accepted either way. Scattered curiosity, a minute ago, I referred to myself as a wet blanket, which is an idiom that was first printed by John Galt in 1830 called Settlers in the Woods, where he says, quote, I have never felt such a wet blanket before or sign. And sign is an old-timey way to say since. So it reads, I have never felt such a wet blanket before or since. Somebody who is likely to be a wet blanket might also be a drama queen, which, if you are a professional actor, almost sounds like a good thing to be. 
like the title that should be given the best leading actress at the Oscars. And let's not forget the derivative, Drama Kings. One of my favorites is Travis Fimmel of the History Channel's dramatic saga, Vikings. He plays Ragnar Lothbrook, a Viking farmer who becomes a Viking king in a sort of rags-to-riches formula. And rags-to-riches is another idiom that is difficult to determine when it was first said. Because the concept is as old as Ragnar Lothbrook, as it is as old as Genghis Khan, who himself went from rags to riches. Other familiar R&R figures of note are Cinderella, Aladdin, Oliver Twist, Axl Rose, Jim Carrey, Andrew Carnegie, Eminem, David Letterman, Elvis Presley, Chris Pratt, J.K. Rowling, George R.R. R. Martin, Oprah Winfrey, and even the Irish UFC champion Conor McGregor. Great, I'm talking about boxing again. But did you see the Conor McGregor-Floyd Mayweather fight? I mean, for the first few rounds, it looked like Conor was beating Floyd down. But Mayweather was able to endure as McGregor exhausted himself and the veteran walked away with a TKO in the 10th round. The fight was stopped by the referee, much to the dismay of Connor, who would have rather gotten knocked out proper instead of a technical knockout to give Mayweather the landslide victory. A landslide victory is an idiom meaning to win by a lot, which visually makes a lot of sense when you think about an actual landslide. Appearing kind of first in the New York Post during the coverage of the 1856 presidential elections between John Fremont and James Buchanan, which referred to their fates being buried in an avalanche. Buchanan won. Then, about a decade later, Ulysses S. Grant won the presidential election over Samuel J. Tilden, and an article in The Reading Eagle described the corruption of Ulysses S. Grant's entire administration to be, quote, the great political landslide of the centennial year, end quote. A statement that was, quote, frequently interrupted by vociferous applause, end quote and the idiom has continued to be part of our political vocabulary ever since. And once again, I have made a tiny sode much longer than I anticipated. What can I say? As soon as I start hunting for a quick curiosity, I find so many other interesting things that I simply cannot control my inquisitiveness. It is my Achilles heel. No apostrophe, by the way, because it's not his heel you refer to. It's your his heel. You know, your weak spot. Greek mythology is full of so many heroic characters that also have particular prominent flaws. And it's kind of amazing that we still say Achilles' heel at all. 
as the Iliad was written all the way back in the 8th century. Achilles is the protagonist in the Iliad. And the brief version of the story behind Achilles is simple. It was prophesied that Achilles would die young. So, when he was a baby, his mother Thetis dipped the boy into the river Styx, which was supposed to make him unscathable. But she held him by his heels, which didn't get anointed in the river. And despite his growing up to be a fearsome, proud soldier who fights through many epic battles against the Trojans, he is eventually taken down by a poison arrow shot by his Trojan adversary Paris, the cowardly prince of Troy, also called Alexandro, who hit Achilles in his vulnerable heel with the arrow and killed him. Referring to an Achilles heel as a personal weakness didn't catch on as a phrase until about a thousand years later in a 19th century essay by Samuel Taylor Coleridge printed in the 1810 English newspaper The Friend when Coleridge wrote, quote, Ireland, that vulnerable heel of the British Achilles, end quote. And one more idiom that stems from the time of Achilles? A Trojan horse. I am personally experiencing some idioms lately, and they are being swamped, knee-deep, and I may have, perhaps, bitten off more than I can chew this week because this was supposed to be a tiny sewed, you know, 15 minutes tops. And as usual, I had about three more pages of idioms to share with you, but had to cut them for time. Which really isn't a big deal. It's not like I have sponsors that I have to answer to, but I do want to try to keep on schedule so that I can keep delivering shows on time to you. Isn't that considerate of me? If you like the show... Please take a moment to give us a rating or review on your podcast giver. And an extra huge thank you to the nine people that already did. You are my favorite. to help us keep the curiosities coming please rate us on itunes soundcloud or your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to visit scatteredcuriosities.com for exclusive free downloads and to donate to the show